0: This is The Book of Life, a podcast that uncovers life lessons from Judaism's most important book, helping you power your day with purpose. Here is Ruchi Koval. Nachas is a Hebrew and Yiddish word that seems to defy translation. You could say it means contentment, deep joy, or satisfaction, but we all know those just don't do justice. Nachas is the deepest sense of pride and joy that something you worked on or created has succeeded and brought you a sense of meaning and purpose. Take that, Webster. So now imagine if I conducted a man on the street interview and stopped pedestrians asking them if they'd have a choice, which would they choose? Nachas or french fries. I like french fries as much as the next guy, especially well done and crunchy with just the right amount of salt. But I would never in a million years choose fries over nachas. Not even tempted. And I imagine that not one pedestrian would either. Why? Rabbi Noach Weinberg, 21st century educator and scholar, popularized the concept of five levels of pleasure He taught that there are different kinds of pleasures that a person can enjoy in this world, that we are actually wired for pleasure, and that God created us to give us pleasure. A deep and complex topic, for sure, but bear with me here. When we think of the word pleasure, probably the first thing that pops up in our heads is physical pleasure, food, sexual gratification, the warm sun on your face as you lie on a beach with a good book and your toes in the water. Okay, I'm getting carried away. That, says Rabbi Weinberg, is just the lowest, most basic form of pleasure. There are higher forms of pleasure, deeper forms such as love, living for a cause, creativity, an encounter with the divine. And when we think about it, We'd never forego higher forms of pleasure, like nachas, for lower forms of pleasure, like french fries, no matter how salty. Yet, we do this all the time. We choose lower pleasure instead of higher pleasure because us humans are also wired for something else. Instant gratification. We'll overeat because it feels good in the moment, knowing we'll have a stomach ache later. We indulge in petty gossip because it's so tempting, knowing we'll just feel sleazy tomorrow. We drink too much, ignoring the impending hangover. In the words of actor Walter Slezak, we spend money we don't have for things we don't need to impress people we don't like. We very often indulge in momentary pleasure that will sabotage a greater opportunity for pleasure because we get caught up in the moment and don't exercise self-control. It was Sigmund Freud who said that maturity is the ability to delay gratification. And in a sense, it's one of the things that sets humans apart from animals. Yes, I really, really want this, but ultimately it will be better for me, for others, for the universe, if I don't have it right now. Maybe later. Maybe not at all. Maybe differently. Maybe just at the right time, the right kind and with the right intent. The trick is to remember that we're not foregoing gratification. We're choosing a higher, fuller, and deeper form of gratification. We're choosing a better sense of pleasure. If we play our spiritual cards right, we can have our soul cake and eat the real one too. In the Torah this week, we learn about all the money that the Jews in the desert donated for the temporary temple called the Mishkan. They raised 87 shekels of gold, over 300,000 shekels of silver, and over 200,000 shekels of copper, among other materials. According to one calculation, the Mishkan, a relatively small temporary structure of only 1,250 square feet, would have cost at least $2 million in today's prices, all provided by private donations. But the very first sentence of this tally states the following. These are the accounts of the Mishkan, which were reckoned at Moses's bidding. And then goes on to list all the different people who built it, all the different monies raised, and all the different pieces of furniture, clothing, structures, and decorations that were constructed and crafted for it. There seems to be an emphasis that these monies specifically had special status. Did they? Rabbi Chaim ibn Attar, a 17th-century Kabbalist and Talmudist originally of Morocco, shares the following deep insight. The Torah uses this language to emphasize that the only true accounts are those following. Whatever a person counts when he wants to determine the total of his possessions on earth are only apparent possessions. Their count, therefore, is also only apparent, deceptive. The only true count on earth was of the components which comprised the holy mishkan because it was something containing divine input and because God has his residence within it. In short, what Rabbi Chaim is saying is that the only way to make your money count is to use it for a greater purpose. Sir Moses Montefiore, a prominent philanthropist and statesman in Victorian Britain, was once asked how much he was worth. He thought for a few moments, then named a figure. His questioner challenged him. You must be worth much more than that. Sir Moses answered with a smile. You didn't ask me how much I own. You asked me how much I am worth. So I calculated how much I have given to charity thus far this year, because we are worth what we are willing to share with others. We so often associate a person's worth with how much money they have in the bank or in assets or investments. Mark Zuckerberg, $107.5 billion. Elon Musk, $244.2 billion. Warren Buffett, $110 billion. But through the glasses of Jewish wisdom, it's an insult to calculate a person's worth based on dollars. A person's worth is truly inestimable because a person is full of untapped potential. But if you want to research their past, don't look at what they have. Look at what they've done with what they have. Look at their attitude towards what they have. And look at what they've given away. That will give you a clue. It should certainly be recognized that, for instance... Warren Buffett and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have given billions to charity. But guess what? The small business owner, teacher, or accountant who faithfully gives his or her charity each year, although the dollar amount will be dramatically lower, is worth just as much. Another great philanthropist, Edward Reichman, who was a billionaire and real estate tycoon, passed away in Israel at the age of 80. He left behind two wills. One to be opened right away, and the other to be opened 30 days later. His family opened the first will right away, and there they found a strange request. I'd like to be buried in my socks. This was strange, but also impossible. According to Jewish law, it's ashes to ashes and dust to dust. A person cannot be buried in any clothing or adornments, just the traditional linen burial shrouds. Their father was a man who lived according to Jewish law. What was he thinking? As much as it pained them, there was no way they could fulfill his dying wish. They consulted rabbi after rabbi, but none agreed that he could be buried in his socks. Thirty days later, they opened the second will, and here's what they read. My dear family, by now you know that even a billionaire can't take anything with him, not even his socks. All we can take with us to the next world are our good deeds, our moral legacy, the difference we've made in this world. The most valuable things in life are the things you can't touch. They're the things you can't eat, smell, or see. The most valuable thing in life is never going to be french fries or any lower form of pleasure because God has bigger dreams for you. So take your physical resources and use them to translate them into love, into legacy, into nachas, into realizing values, goals, beauty. Now that's eternal. This is the Book of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Join Ruki again next time for more meaning and inspiration from Judaism's most important book, To Power Your Day With Purpose.